Hello and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran. And I'm Nick. And today we will be discussing Twin Peaks The Return. And because this is a very complicated, very long, and completely nonsensical show, expect us to completely destroy this beautiful piece of art and not do it justice whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But first, <laughs> the new. The first. New um yeah uh so uh if you didn't hear no time to die and dune have been delayed um you know we're all about delays here we only ever talk about delays and how theaters are never opening again oh my god all right but yes this, this is it's it's really important because these these films we know are in the can and we're almost ready to be shown and now they're getting pushed back again um yeah i mean it makes sense since um tenant tried to open during a global pandemic and surprise surprise it didn't do so well i mean it made (laughs) i think around around like almost like its budget but that's like nowhere near enough for it to profit i mean i'm sure um i think i think the final number was 300 million or it it passed 300 million if it's still playing probably is yeah, so probably like didn't even break even if we take into account like marketing and everything. Oh no, didn't yeah, didn't they need like eight hundred million to break even? Uh something like that. I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, just like just like a ridiculous number. Yeah. That like realistically there's no way they were gonna get during the pandemic. Um so Yeah. It's interesting and it makes sense that the studios have chosen to um take a risk. And, and and well, I guess uh, kind of a risk because they're they're kind of like bleeding money if they don't release the film, um, and take a risk and like delay it almost like a year. Both of these films have gotten delayed like almost a year, right? So, well, I think Dune is delayed until like October, right? Yeah, which is pretty much a year. I think they were planning yeah. on December, and then mm-hmm. No Time to Die obviously was supposed to come out in like April, but then they moved it to November, and I think they've moved it to april again now okay so pretty much a year yeah 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 um and i mean this is probably the best move aside from just dumping it on streaming or on demand but i assume that the companies have like figured out that they'll make significantly less money if they do that yeah um and they probably don't want to just like sell it to netflix or something because these are like huge properties i mean we're talking about like james bond which is you know like one of the biggest franchises in, in the entire world. Yeah. And also Dune, which is like, I think, is it WB that's doing Dune? Yeah, Dune is WB. Yeah, so like they're like kind of banking on this being like their next like big blockbuster franchise. Uh, God, man. You know, I think part of the problem with this, and I hate to say it, but I feel like it's going to be directors who are going to make this whole thing last a bit too long than it needs to because uh patty jenkins just the other day was like no we we refuse to put wonder woman on uh on hbo max we are going to uh put it in theaters but like really like how Uh, long can we drag this out before honestly like i don't really think that patty jenkins has like yeah power to do that well yeah i think i definitely feel like it's uh mostly a um decision made by the producers if it's like a big budget movie like this you know yeah um because like you know these movies are just cost so much money to make yeah they're they're really not gonna like 
risk losing money um, because the director wants to do this or that. Yeah. But fortunately Denis... for them, fortunately for them, like the directors themselves do want to see their movies in theaters. Yeah, I think Denis might have some pull, but he might not, considering none of his movies make money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, I think the only movie that he lost money on was Blade Runner, right? The only oh. movies I think made money, but I mean, they weren't yeah. like big budget movies, except for maybe like Arrival. Yeah, true. So, um, I, I think that besides just putting these films on demand or streaming, this is probably the best move. Because, yeah, I mean, releasing your film during global pandemic is kind of irresponsible. Christopher Nolan and WB. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, unless unless there happens to, uh, unless we happen to build like a hundred more, a, a billion more drive-in theaters, then I really don't think movies are going to be happening anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and it's <sighs> for the best. I mean, it's really like, it's just not worth risking your life over it's just stupid yeah <laughs> sorry on, yeah and like on top of that um cineworld actually just announced that um they're going to be closing like pretty much all of their uh regal theaters again so yeah. that's oh god the, the theaters are really banking on like these big releases uh just like staying on the schedule yeah uh, but since you know like tenet has shown that like it wasn't a good idea to release right now. Yeah. Um, like there was really, I guess, no chance for these other films to do it too. Yeah, so and it's like all the theaters were closed. Yeah, it's it's just so tricky with like you know how to model this because like everyone's new with this. So like, uh, particularly with like releasing a movie on on streaming, I think is going to be like interesting how this all evolves because like, uh, Disney announced that uh soul is coming to disney plus for free which is obviously not what they did with mulan and so, soul is the new pixar film yeah 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 so that yeah i it, it, it doesn't spell a good sign for what happened with mulan is is what i'm really saying but netflix is so happy right now they are, <laughs> they are jumping in their seats man all right because they already they already like hate putting their movies out in theaters the only reason they do it is so that they can get like oscar consideration well it's funny i, I think mank is going to have <laughs> they they said mank was going to have a run in november oh god yeah <laughs> like, like probably like it's like two theaters in la yeah um but no, no no like netflix all the streaming platforms like the streaming only platforms are probably like really really fucking happy right now yeah definitely um i mean it, this is really perfect for them since it, it kind of shows like honestly the superiority of their model yeah over, over like the traditional methods i mean i'm, I know. Always, I'm always an advocate for seeing movies in theaters i mean i see the netflix movies that i want to see in theaters in theaters um but it's again it's not realistic right now i would have seen like the five bloods i would have seen i'm thinking of ending things in theaters but there is a pandemic yeah and I'm just and then, and I'm just happy that like we're still getting like these new movies. Like we talked a little bit about I'm thinking about any things. Yeah, I think uh Warner Brothers released a bunch of like their kind of middle grade movies onto HBO Max for free. Like, yeah. American um, which Pickle. Is, yeah. Which is which is yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's a smart move. Yeah, um, for middle have, budgets, definitely. Yeah, if you have like middle or like low budget movies that are just like in the can, you might as well just release on your streaming platforms to get more people to subscribe. I mean 
Um, Netflix's numbers are just like insane right now, from what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 all we have. It's all most of us have right now. So. Yeah. Makes sense. Um. Yeah. Are you uh? You wanna? We you wanna move on to this this next little bit that's basically entirely just for myself. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> so. Uh, Spider-Man 3 has added, uh, Jamie Foxx as Electro, and, as well as Doctor Strange. And this is interesting, mostly just from the whole rights perspective of what's going on with Spider-Man, because Sony is basically forcing Marvel to include their movies into the MCU. And by putting a previously, like previously done character with that same actor into this movie, it means that there's some weird multiverse shit going on, which is going to maybe be exciting and maybe lead to a Spider-Verse, but we don't know that for a fact. But it's possible that that's what that's leading to, and this could be very exciting. Alright, alright. Hell yeah. Um, and our last little bit of news that'll take us right into Twin Peaks... Uh, Audrey's husband, uh, the actor who played him, Clark Middleton, has uh, died at the age of 63 of West Nile virus. Um, I, I really don't know him from much, but from the small bit he played as Audrey's husband, he was absolutely wonderful, and he, he fit like right into the world of Twin Peaks. So, Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll talk about the Audrey scenes yeah. <laughs> later, later, later in this, in this show. But I think he did, he did a great job there. He's a great second to like such like a legendary character. Yeah. Um, he really, he really was able to hold his own. So it's unfortunate that he passed away, but I think that he, he left like a pretty good legacy. I mean, um, he was in Twin Peaks. Uh, he was in like Kill Bill, right? Yeah. For like then... a second, but still. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Still. <laughs> um, very interesting character actor. And unfortunately, he passed away. But he's been immortalized in the greatest TV show of all time. Damn right. If you can even call Twin Peaks season three a TV show. Kyers do cinema does not. Good. <laughs> shall we? Shall we attempt? Oh God, we're gonna be uh, here for the next like two hours. <laughs> yeah, we have. So we, this is like the first time that we've actually written a short like notes list of like stuff we want to touch upon. Um, and it's really long, so this is going to probably be a very long episode, and then we'll, maybe we'll break it up, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, oh, do you want to start with the context first? Do you want to go? Yeah. So first of all, I'll talk about Twin Peaks a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, first of all, like, if you have any interest of the sh in the show and you haven't watched it, I don't recommend listening to this because we're going to be talking about everything Twin Peaks from the original pilot in '89 all the way until. Um, the Return, which came out in 2017. Um, this this episode will be fo mostly focused on The Return, but I mean, we'll probably talk about um, the original show and maybe touch upon um, the film Firewalk With Me as well. Yeah. Um, so in general, uh, if you're not familiar, Twin Peaks is about this kind of murder mystery surrounding this girl called Laura Palmer, who was killed. And... Um, the reason why it got so popular in, in, in like the late nineties is because it mixed like soap opera elements with like strange, like David Lynch surrealism stuff. 
Um, but most importantly, it had this idea of the continuing narrative um, in a TV show, which besides in like um, traditional soap operas hasn't hadn't really been done before. Um, and like, so like the murder wasn't wasn't solved until like midway through um, season two, even though like it wasn't actually meant to be solved at all. <laughs> you didn't even want to fucking do it. Yeah. Um, so the fact that season three got made is extremely interesting and it's such it's such like a novelty that david lynch and mark frost and the creators of twin peaks were able to get so many of the people that worked on the original show like literally it's it's an absolute miracle that this happened at all (laughs) yeah i have absolutely no idea how like one they got all of these people and two they were able to get the budget for this because this is like the most experimental um I, I don't i don't know if i would call it like mainstream even but like i don't know like a mid to high budget thing i've seen like on tv it's certainly it's certainly the most experimental thing i've seen on like more or less traditional or like prestige television you know definitely oh for sure <laughs> yeah it's it's absolutely insane and like it's even for David Lynch, it's like insane. Yeah, it it, it really feels like parts, parts of, of yeah parts of it feel like Eraserhead the series. Yeah, parts of it feel like Eraserhead and are in here like even Inland Empire, which I'd argue is like his most like experimental slash maybe like nonsensical <laughs> film that he's done. Um, but at the same time, it's all centered around this legendary TV show, um, Twin Peaks. But the thing about this about season three is that it's completely different than the original Twin Peaks because of the 25-year gap. And I think that's, like, one of the the, the biggest, um, um, like, misconceptions about season three is that it's just, oh, it's just, like, another season in the Twin Peaks universe. I mean, uh-huh, absolutely not. <laughs> that is technically true. Like, it's technically <laughs> referred to as season three. But it is, in a lot of ways, it's, like, you, you can't really get any farther than Twin Peaks than this show. The show is called Twin Peaks, and yet season three barely takes place in the town of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Actually, I'd probably say most of the show takes place outside the town. Yeah, maybe maybe a quarter of it takes place in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Even, yeah, even that is probably generous. Right. Um, and that's also the point, though, because, like, like I said before, it's not trying to be just another season of the original TV show. Yeah, that, Lynch, that that dream Frost. is long dead and gone for exactly for them. Like David Lynch and Mark Frost know that if they were to do some just something like that, it would be this really strange disconnect between like this giant gap. Yeah, and so I think that the direction they chose to go in was extremely interesting. The show is really about aging, death, decay, and the issues with nostalgia yeah um i it's i i really like that they went this direction especially like i said i'm amazed that this happened because in the late 90s i think uh david lynch even said that like he considered twin peaks dead as a doornail so the fact that they were able to just like do anything with this considering you know david's own opinions on 
where this went uh, is, like I said, an absolute miracle. I would argue that what he said in the 90s, the, the show being dead as a doornail, actually still holds today. Because, like, that's kind of all what this show is about. Yeah, kind of. It's all about how... Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's Twin Peaks, but about how Twin Peaks is dead. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of an epilogue in some ways. But it's, it's more complicated than just, like, an epilogue, I think. Definitely. It's also about how um, being obsessed with the past, revisiting the past, trying to, like change the facts and only like viewing it the past in like a the va in like a vacuum is a really like dangerous and problematic thing to do even though the present might be like terrible yeah there's there's just so much going on in the town that you know <laughs> back when we first met it it was just so like quaint and nice and even though we stripped away all these layers of like bad shit going down it it still felt like there was some hope. There was some kind yeah. of optimism that was still certainly there. like on the surface. Yeah. yeah, there were there were still you know heartwarming moments. There were still you know these 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 bits of happiness, and you know there was some nice resolution for some characters. But this this really doesn't, except for maybe two of them. Yeah, and yeah, we'll get to that later. Um... Ed and Norma have a have a very heartwarming arc. It's true. But yeah, let's talk about the town a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I know that you mentioned before we started recording. Um, apparently. Yeah, I think in in the final dossier or the history of you know the in between book of season two and three, it mentions that um, what happened with the Ghostwood development. Uh, arc back in season two it became a uh, private prison uh shortly after the season ended and a lot of the town's like bad vibes mark frost said was was coming from there which is yeah i that's that's kind of awesome yeah that's really interesting and it's it's i mean it's very political i think like inherently um and i'll get back to politics in a second but also like there's this thing in twin peaks about like bad vibes versus good vibes like actually like be like meaning something yeah you know like absolutely if there is like an evil or like violence going around it's kind of like it's kind of like a ripple effect you know yeah and like a kind of like a like a weird like spiritual way so i think that um i don't know this like negative energy that that comes from like this private prison has like really like affected like everyone in there yeah um, but all, that, that's, that's just like, kind of like plot wise, but I think like thematically it makes a lot of sense for this town to just be dying, depressed. I mean, like all, we're, we see like all of the, our like favorite characters from the original show with like gray hair and like very old, very like unable to move. I mean, like there's several times where, um, like people that acted in the original series came back and actually died before season three was was released. So, like, an example would be, like, the log lady and I think, like, Donna's dad, like, the doctor, Dr. Hayward, I think his name is. Yeah. They're very or old, or, or some of them are, you know, simply passed on, like, uh, Briggs and Bob. They're, you know, or yeah. I should say, I should say Major Garland Briggs. Bobby Briggs is not dead. Yeah, right, 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 <laughs> yeah. The actors for those, like, Frank, Frank Silva, and I forget the name of Garland Briggs' actor. Um... 
and, and, and like it, it really like shows that there is like just kind of like death and decay like surrounding this once very vibrant town which has always had like this kind of like underlying evil around it like lynch is is very much into this idea of like suburban americana on the surface being so like bright and beautiful but underneath having like all the weird creepy crawlies i'm thinking like the opening scene to blue velvet right yeah been doing the shit since 1986 yeah basically the opening scene is um there's like beautiful white picket fence um and then at the bottom the fire truck goes by and then right yeah and we zoom into the grass and it's all like fucking nasty and bug ridden yeah gross like beetles and stuff um so so yeah this is like this is definitely unfamiliar to david but there was always this surface of like happiness in the original show yeah um which, which uh, interestingly, actually gets, I think, subverted a lot in the film, Fire Walk With Me. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> our, so, oh my god. I could talk about Fire Walk With Me forever, but... <laughs> and we will, we will. We're, we we're will. Do a on that I too. swear to god we will have an episode on that, because <laughs> it has become one of my favorite movies of all time after watching this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm in love with the idea of you know, this very real unfortunate thing happening to this town because you you see it every day. Small town cities across America are, you know, kind of dying in this way because of industrialization. Um, and I, I think that, you know, that just adds a, another element of, you know, while this is all crazy, like, surrealism, it's, it's still a real thing. It, it oh, still yeah. happens. Yeah, I mean, like, all the surrealism... And in, in, in my opinion, in Lynch's work, maybe not all of it, but a lot of the surrealism in Lynch's work, and especially in Twin Peaks and very much in season three, uh, I feel like a lot of it does deal with like real world issues. So like I would argue that all those like you know very very like scary elements of Fire Walk with Me kind of reflect like Laura's um, psychological trauma. Yeah. Uh, just like I mean you know the horrible experience she had of like being like. Um, like abused by her father um and in here uh like the like the nuke scene we'll we'll get to later i think that's like a manifestation of like like all like the evils that mankind can do as well yeah i mean there's yeah there's there's a lot of things that we have written on this list that are like that kind of overlap so we will get to even more in depth on some of these later but um yeah um, and then uh, let's let's go back to the political a little bit. So sure. Go very briefly, um, we talked about like the private the private prison. I mean, that's a very political issue in America right now. Um, police reform is like like the like the big hot button like political issue right now, um, as it should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think the private prison is relevant in that way to like the current like American political climate. And there's also like these strange kind of allusions to like modern day politics that we see in the show a little bit. Um, the biggest one to me that I've noticed was um, what they did with Dr. Jacoby's character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you know where your freedom is? Yeah. You want to, you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So they've, um, they've turned Dr. Jacoby confusingly in my opinion, although I guess we do see some of his like, zany wackiness in the original series but 
what they've done with him now is that he's he's kind of like Alex Jones, mm-hmm. but like not quite as like explicit racist. explicitly like <laughs> racist and all that shit. Yeah, because. <laughs> I don't know, it's probably because David Lynch is just like, I don't know, what, what would a guy like this actually say? Because, you know, he doesn't watch that shit. <laughs> yeah. Although he was, in, he was on Alex Jones, and in like 2007, 2008. Oh, yeah. For uh, Inland Empire. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting that they did that with Dr. Jacoby. I mean, I don't... It certainly doesn't make me dislike him as a character. Uh, oh, yeah because I think it's even more hilarious oh yeah it's 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 really interesting the fact that he like (laughs) is selling these like gold uh spray painted shovels and yeah he's um, he's doing that same kind of like marketing it's 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 still about making money off of something but you have this kind of radio show on the side yeah and i mean like alex jones actually does the exact same thing he he sells yeah like like, boner pills and stuff um it's like really strange things that you don't want to put in your body <laughs> the photo of him where it's just him and then after is more red him yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh so my goodness. um and yeah so jacoby has like those golden shovels that he says like buy my shovel to dig yourself out of the shit dig yourself out of the sh- or no it's shovel yourself out of the shit yourself. Sorry, my bad. of course like nadine <laughs> buys them too oh my goodness she's like the target audience which is thing. it's funny because uh that kind of transforms itself into um uh it kind of collides with uh the ed norma arc which we'll talk about a little bit later um sure yeah which which i found interesting is that those two kind of <laughs> We can talk about it right now. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, just uh, what happens with Ed and Norma? Uh, Norma obviously is, you know, uh, has now franchised out the uh, Double R Diner. Is now Norma's Double R Diner in yeah. uh, like five locations now, and she's like, "Yeah, but I have some reservations about this. I don't really know if this is what I want. I kind of want to keep the name uh, Double R." You know, the people of the town recognize and know the name Double R, which, you know, can definitely be related back to the theme of nostalgia that is in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And but, also um, this idea of, like, small America dying as well. Yeah, definitely. And I... Uh, so basically, the uh, to go back to the Jacob Jacoby uh, storyline and how it kind of ends up here is that Nadine... Being Nadine, <laughs> um, she she listens to this show and comes to the conclusion that Dr. Jacoby is telling her to <laughs> let Ed be free <laughs> and let Ed, uh, you know, have his, uh, you know, marry Norma, let him, let him go and let him marry Norma because she comes to the conclusion that that's what she has to do to shovel herself out of this shit. Uh, we get this this funny little scene in, in, I think, episode 16, or it's either 16 or 14. Anyway, point is that she, she walks, like, probably, like, I don't know, like 15 miles or something insane that Ed says, and is like... <laughs> Are, are you sure you really want to do this? Uh, she's, she's like, she's holding her shovel. She goes up to Ed at Ed's gas farm and is just like, 
Ed, we're breaking up. Dr. Jacoby told me so. <laughs> um, and it's it's just this this interesting way to basically solve this this uh, arc that you know kind of got like all messy at the end of season two. That yeah, um, <laughs> and I think I think it's funny because it seems like she's happy. It seems like Ed is happy. It seems like Norm is happy at the end. And like honestly, those three characters are probably like the only ones that are that end really up happy, happy probably yeah at the end of the show which which is like cute because it shows that despite all this negativity there's, there's... yeah like the like like america is in a really shit place right now yeah like, really really bad place it shows there's that there's still that, there's still that possibility of happiness i mean like norman ed it takes them like so many years like i don't even know like Probably like 40, 50 years. Oh ago. my goodness! Yeah, we and don't. Then, we, we didn't. We haven't even seen the whole history of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, you know, they finally, I guess, get their happy ending. Which is, which is you know, which is thank good. God there's there's some happiness in the end because yeah. we'll, we'll fucking talk about the end. Yeah, oh boy! But also, but also, I think I think that that's important because yeah. because Lynch and at Frost are saying uh, as well in the show that like if you keep going back towards the past to like find the happiness, even though like the past might've been like much happier, the past was also like really. Yeah. Even though arguably that it wasn't. Yeah. Like the past was also like really shitty too. Like you're just kind of going back and seeing it through rose colored glasses. I mean, like, I think, I think, uh, fire walk with me there. It makes, makes a, makes like a really good argument for like, I guess how like shitty the past of twin peaks really. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, because uh twin peaks the series is almost like the rose the rose colored glasses and yeah. while fire walk with me is what was really happening yeah i mean like obviously there's only so much they could have done on like uh cable right yeah they couldn't they couldn't show like too much violence too much sex um no in the original series right or drugs at all really in, in the original series but they use that to their advantage i think and then Lynch subverted that idea in the prequel film Fire Walk With Me. Get it? They smashed the TV at the beginning. They smashed the TV at the beginning <laughs> of the film, yes. <laughs> um, but but it, it makes sense because it's showing these two sides. So it has, you know, the, the happy, nostalgic parts. And then you have, you know, the underbelly, like the problematic elements. Not necessarily the reality because I think they're both the reality. That's the yeah. thing about Lynch. Yeah. Like, Lynch, Lynch is a and Lynch's work that I see. It's just um, what he chooses to show show us when. Yes, like the 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 evil and the good always play a role in his work. You can't really have like one without the other. I think that's like what's kind of genius about him and and, and what he does. Yeah, um, I I still have yet to see all of his movies, but yeah, I from the ones that I've seen that it's it's definitely a a, a nice balance is always kind of. Not always nice, but and not always yeah. a balance, but there is yeah. a give and take for sure in exactly. all of his work. Yeah, except and I think maybe that without... Dune because it's Dune, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that without this Ed and Norma arc kind of thing at the, at the end of this uh, season, you would just want to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it would be kind of, but it, like, uh, it it's, it it's also realistic, like, like an, right? But like, also it would be kind of feels like like an old boomer like yelling at the world <laughs> yeah like, look how shitty the world is yeah but um you know with with this and like with like you know the comedic aspects of the show too 
and like there's definitely like really like happy moments like sprinkled throughout yeah um it's much more like complicated and nuanced than just saying like wow today is like garbage <laughs> let's go back because i think i think like like i said before uh, my my well i didn't say this before but my 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 kind of understanding of the show is that it's a very like anti-nostalgic show uh, of the season sorry absolutely i yeah yeah because it's it just it spends a lot of time almost asking the viewer why do you want to be back here yeah what are you getting out of being back here mm-hmm. like laura's dead you know who the killer is why are you here yeah like just get over it just move on with your life pretty much which is um, <laughs> really ballsy. It is. It is. Um, and it's very also ballsy, too, that um, the quote-unquote mystery of Twin Peaks, you know, like, what's really going on like beneath the scenes, like, why stuff is all wacky is, like, never explained. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, it, it's intentional for it to be that way, like, for sure. Like, um because it ultimately doesn't matter i think for me twin peaks is about the characters and like what they do what good is having the black lodge explained to you yeah what what will it fulfill in Mm -hmm. in you as a viewer Mm -hmm. um and in all of lynch's films like the mystery is never really revealed except for maybe like mulholland drive i guess (laughs) even then it's like yeah uh (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Even then, it's Lynch. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, should we move on to Dougie? Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. Um, yeah. So, our our deal, our dear Kyle, uh, formerly Agent Cooper, uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the season, is put into, I guess not put into the body. I don't know how to explain what happens anyway. Um, Kyle is there as now Dougie Jones, a, uh, insurance inspector, something like that. Agent. Insurance agent. Um, so he's an insurance agent for 16 episodes of this 18 episode series. Yes. Um, (laughs) we have to mention that he is an insurance agent and he doesn't know that he's an insurance agent. In fact, he doesn't really know anything. He's kind of this, um, bumbling slapstick character that's it almost feels like like a baby like he was just like spawned in the world yeah he just he's repeating everything he said everyone says mm-hmm. to him he's you know he has no idea what's going on he, he's, already, he's, he's like, handed really, money and like he has no idea what's like going on he mm-hmm. the <laughs> that first that first scene of him at the casino where he's just winning jackpot after jackpot is like the best thing ever Oh, it's hilarious. Oh, it's my God. so good. I Hello! <laughs> Hello, Mr. Jackpots. Which one should I choose? Oh, my um, goodness. It's, I, I think the first time watching the series, I, I liked the Dougie scenes because they were, they were funny, but, like, I kind of hated them, too, because I was just waiting, like, where is, where is Dale Cooper? Like, this, like, bright, shiny, you know, amazing such such like a vibrant character i just i love kyle mclaughlin so much yeah and i I, I love his performance in the original series yeah i personally i think my expectations for seeing cooper were 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 a bit tampered the second i met dougie i was like all right this is going to last for an absurdly long time and i'm not going to get cooper for a while am i (laughs) because i'm like this is lynch he's not going to give me what i want 
Yeah. Um, and I think like definitely a part of it is like intentionally trolling by Lynch. Yeah. Ab- um, <laughs> absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but like, it's also like trolling, like for a reason. Um, we get back to this idea of nostalgia um, and of like audience expectation. Yeah. I mean, once, once Cooper finally gets there, he's, you know, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah once, once Cooper finally like wakes up, it's, it's almost like designed to be as like campy and nostalgic as possible. Yeah, it's almost a parody if it weren't for yes. the the last episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, we'll get to the um, the fight with Bob too, and that's almost kind of like a parody as well. Um, but like like when he wakes up, like the the music starts playing again. He puts on his suit. He's all like cocky. He's all like ready to go. He's smiling, and he leaves the hospital saying, "I am the FBI." The music like, swells. It's all beautiful. Yeah, it's so great. Line ever. It's 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 amazing, and it's so good because it's again David Lynch just trolling the hell out of it. Because <laughs> it's almost like <laughs> David Lynch is subverting your expectations. Because at this point, you're just like, oh, oh, something like I yeah. I kind of want is happening right now. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But it's all part of a. Uh, Lynch and Frost's like master plans. Oh my goodness. Rip your heart out with the ending of the show. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but I think I think before we touch upon the ending and Dale Cooper's role in the story, I think we should uh is there anything else we want to talk about? For Dougie? Um Dougie I just you know, I just want to put the fucking praise out there for for what they've done with Dougie is I, I think it's honestly amazing that they they kept that up for sixteen episodes. Oh, just hilarious. kind of trolling the audience. Oh, it's so good. It's... And like it it becomes like to a point where like you're so pissed off that you just don't care and then you like start actually loving the character cuz he's like hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. The and, the um, fact that Dougie got laid during this season is like the funniest thing ever. Oh, it's amazing. And um I really think that part of the reason why Dougie's character was so good was because of um naomi watts too yeah playing uh dougie's wife janie i think she did an amazing job. oh my god she's like wonderful. she's like kind of like the, the perfect counter to dougie she's like super like vibrant and animated she's the um, straight lady yeah yeah basically yeah yeah um and you know i just i just love naomi watts oh my goodness <laughs> She's, 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 she's amazing in this. Listen, she's I could hug every one of the cast members, but, like, okay. Naomi Watts is definitely up there on... I just... Thank you for doing what you do. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I definitely think that Dougie would be a much less interesting character without without her performance to kind of, like, counter that and, like, mitigate that as well. Yeah. Um, I love how they never take him to a hospital or ask, like is there something really wrong with him right now? They just kind of accept yeah. that he's, like, this this stupid, bumbling idiot after yeah. they they had this, like, actual, like, functioning human person. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't ever get to see that side of Dougie, but, well, we see it yeah. for, like, what, five seconds, and then it's gone? Yeah, basically, but... until he turns into, like, weird CGI. <laughs> but it's, it's just so great that they, that they were able to troll us with it and then almost turn us around on the character mm-hmm. yeah can we uh can we talk about how 
Kyle McLaughlin plays like I don't even know how many characters. I think it was. Even I, I think it was four. I think the official number is four on on the cast. Because okay. there there's a cast section on Wikipedia, and then there's there's all these sections, but there's a single one for Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> playing playing yeah. four characters. So he's he's. He's credited as Dale Cooper. He's credited as Cooper's doppelganger, Dougie, and Richard, who yeah. we meet very briefly at the end. Right. Um, in my first watch of the of the show, I kind of thought that the character in the last couple episodes that he plays, like this Richard character, was just like purely Cooper. But like on this rewatch, it's definitely like I feel like a mixture between the good Cooper and like the evil Cooper. Yeah, I was definitely never one hundred percent positive that that was that Richard, quote unquote, is yeah all one side or the other of Cooper. And we'll just let's just give a little round of applause for Kyle McLaughlin. Oh my goodness, three hundred characters. Good job. And he just clap for the man. He 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 played like like um a fucking Bond villain. <laughs> not, like, not a Bond villain, just like just like this like absolute fucking like evil, despicable character in um Cooper's Do- doppelganger, or referred to as Mr. C. Yeah. He plays Special Agent Dale Cooper, you know, like just the greatest regular TV old Dale. Dale. Yeah. This this bumbling slapstick idiot, Dougie Jones. And then whatever the hell Richard was. Yeah. <laughs> this like weird amalgamation of Dale and his and his doppelganger. Mr. Like, C really, I, I really don't think that many other actors could have pulled this off. Like, it's it's really just amazing performance by him. Oh no, definitely not. Hell, I I I think I respect him a lot more after having seen this because, yeah, I honestly didn't think he had the ability to pull that off. No, but... because like usually in in like Lynch films, all the Lynch films he he's in. So I guess that would only be like Dune, Twin Peaks, and uh, Blue Velvet. He plays like kind of a similar character and like a, like a cute little curious like young boy kind of thing yeah you know yeah um and like kind of like animated and um i i almost thought like he was kind of typecast but i the fact that in my opinion like this is like definitely his best work to date and he's you know this is this is like one of his most recent roles it's really amazing yeah i mean <laughs> this whole thing is like putting this all together was like fantastic but like kyle is just that cherry on top that like yeah the cherry on top of the cherry pie (laughs) oh let's uh let's talk about mr c for a little bit what the hell is going on there hell yeah uh did you just ask me what's going on in twin peaks yes i did i don't know um (laughs) i i find mr c fascinating because we don't really get a history with him except well we don't see a history with him we only get like verbal accounts of like things he has done in the past from like other people and then the the mr c that we do meet is just this like scummy asshole that like he's like like just like the most evil person possible yeah he, he he's like a criminal mastermind like clearly like orchestrating shit going on with uh tim roth and jennifer jason lee yeah like a sociopath yeah he he uh at one point i'm you know this is full spoilers i guess we already went into that but (laughs) but the he kills his son (laughs) yeah he kills his son so um 
his so the the son of Audrey and like Cooper's doppelganger is in this show, and apparently like um, shortly after season two ended, um, canonically, like uh, the evil Cooper raped Audrey, and apparently just so that he could like zap his son with like lightning at like the specific coordinates. I don't even know what that means to be honest. I don't know if that implies at all. You know what I think it is? This is <laughs> this is how I kind of interpret what's what happened there is that he was trying to erase all evidence of uh the uh the good Dale Cooper existing. Or like any evidence of him, I think. I don't know. That's what I kinda got from it. Honestly, like... Because remember he texts all to uh, Diane? Oh, yeah. That's think, that's what I thought about it. I don't know. The uh, the text, I thought that was... Um, I, I thought that to be, like, kill everyone. Like, kill Gordon, Tammy, Alpha. Oh, huh. That's what I thought, at least. Because she, like, pulls out the gun. And, well, this is also Diane's, um, like, clone, or, like, Tulpa, as it's called, I think. Um... And I think, like, she was, like, really developing, like, her own feelings and becoming, like, her own person. Yeah. Because, like, there's this thing where, like, the, uh, like, the doppelgangers of people, like, kind of, like, develop their own personalities. Like, I mean, obviously, Evil, evil Coop is evil. Not the same as, <laughs> not the same Dougie, as our dear Dale. Dougie Jones is kind of, like, another opposite of Cooper. And not in the fact that he's, like, evil, but in that he's very, like, unrestrained with himself, with himself you know? Like, he, like... He's like a womanizer. He like gambles. He's like really fat. Yeah. Um, he's he's this idiot connected to, I I guess the Black Lodge. Yeah. Well, he's not really an idiot. Like the original. I'm talking about like the original Dougie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. And then we have like Diane's um clone, who's like. I don't even know how to. Describe. She's like she's just like very like cynical and bitter. Um, probably because she's just being used by, like, the evil Coop. Yeah. You know? And, like, it, it kind of shows that she doesn't really want to do that. Because, like, just before she gets shot, um, she says, like, I'm, I'm not me, like, and that kind of, like, implies that she doesn't want to, like, do the things that she's doing. Um, I don't know, I just kind of feel, I feel, I feel bad for her. Um. Yeah, and, uh, it's, you know, it's just hard to tell because, like, Hard to tell, like, where those uh, separate, because we don't really get to meet the real Diane. I mean, we meet her yeah. for, like, a second, but, like... It's very brief, and then she turns into, like, Linda or whatever. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I'm kind of... I, I really didn't know the motivations behind Mr. C, but also I think it doesn't really matter, since he's supposed to be, I think, like... Oh, absolutely the, not. He's supposed to be, like, the pure manifestation of evil as in the same way that, like, Leland is when Leland was, like, infected by Bob or whatever, like, possessed by Bob. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, like, it is it is revealed that, you know, Bob's inside Mr. C. Exactly, yeah. So I think that, like... It makes sense that, for... That kind of, like, pure, like, evil is, is just in there. And I guess that, that all comes from Judy. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think like, honestly, like, there, I'm sure, like, if I read more about it, if I like care to, if I like analyzed it more. If you watch um, the five hour long Twin Peaks explained video, I, you I would understand. The, the, yes, the five hour long Twin Peaks explained video. Oh my god. Then goodness. I would understand like Mr. C's motivations, but also like it doesn't really matter. It's just really meant to be like, I think the pure manifestation of evil in the same way that like, Lee Linda's. Yeah. Um, Bob, Judy. So 
Like, they shoot a guy in front of his kids, like... Yeah, he's messed up. He's super messed up, and, like, yeah, Colin McLaughlin's performance of, like, this, like, absolute sociopath is... It's jarring, because I'm so used to him being, like, so, like, animated and lively, Bubbly and, and, and here fun. he just, like, completely, like, deadpan, like, the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 like, and, and, and there's that scene when he's in the prison, and I think, like, Gordon and Albert visit him, and, like, he tries smiling, and it comes off as, like, the creepiest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. yeah. I, he's like trying to get show emotion. Oh god, I and just when he like fucks with people, like when he does the arm wrestling match. Oh yeah, that was amazing. I love that scene. Oh my goodness. He's he's just like, this kinda hurts. Yeah. Starting <laughs> positions. <laughs> when you're over here, it hurt more. But when I'm over here, this hurts oh, less. Oh my goodness. That's great. That's an amazing voice too. Oh god. It's it's such a like creepy character because i think he's so simple you know yeah because he's just like there's no good thing about him yeah rotten Um, to the core yeah um all right i guess we could talk about some of the other characters unless there's anything you want to add about mr c uh no man he's just a dick yeah (laughs) (laughs) he is he is a massive cock but played Um, excellently I, I really liked what they did with Bobby Briggs' character in the show in general, but specifically in season three, too. Yeah, I really did, um, too. I, I originally did not like Bobby that much, but this definitely turned my feelings around about him. Yeah, so the, in the original series, he's kind of, like, this annoying, kind of, like, really outspoken and, like, animated um, teenager who's, like, kind of, like, like, like the generic kind of, like, rebellious against parents and like that kind of stuff but um at the same time even though like he's done like some really horrible things like in firewalk to me he like murders somebody because of self-defense but still um i mean like he deals drugs um it is like all these like bad stuff i mean like he cheats on his girlfriend but i guess like everyone can choose us um he like underneath all of that even in the original series there is like some glimpses of like hope and like goodness, yeah. I don't um, think I don't think on rewatch I'm ever going to see that that scene where he talks to his dad the same way ever again. Exactly after yeah, what um, happens to him, right? Um, and there's an amazing scene in Twin Peaks. I forget which season. I think um, it's two. Okay, where um, his dad, Major Garland Briggs, sits him down and says, "Son, I know that we've had our um, uh, fights in the past and our disagreements, but I have seen in a dream." that you will grow up to be um a a great and and fully fully good man and i love you for that and like bobby and that scene kind of like this like like emotional breakdown a little bit it's like the one time we see like any emotion except for smugness from him yeah pretty much yeah um and then like even even when like laura dies he wasn't particularly broken up i remember yeah um uh it's it's an amazing scene well that's the fact that that in season three, um, like all that kind of comes true, and the fact that he turns into like um, you know a cop, <laughs> a cab, haha. But like, uh, he, you he know what? Literally, to... literally, a cab doesn't apply to any... all cops are bastards except for Bobby Briggs. You know, except for <laughs> except for Chet, I think everyone in the Twin Peaks Police Department seems all right. Yeah, um, but anyway, he turns into this, you know, like like a good character that like that like. Legitimately cares about people. I mean, like he clearly very cares much for his daughter, his ex-wife, 
Shelly. And then um, he's like overall this like really good and honest guy, which is like um, such a departure from his character in the other series and the other yeah. seasons. But this is where the time gap comes into play again. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait. Uh, so can we can we go back to talking about you know the fact that he didn't care about Laura initially dying? Like not not he he cared, but like it wasn't like big on him, dude. The, yeah. The scene in whatever episode it is where he sees Laura's picture and you can just see this flood of a like repressed emotion come yeah over him and he just starts crying is like one of the most powerful things yeah i think in this entire series it's such an amazing scene let's talk about that for a little bit thanks for yeah. bringing that up um the the music swells again the in the original series like um i don't know if i'd really criticize it for this but certainly like the soundtrack was played a lot maybe <laughs> overplayed like the Laura Palmer theme is played like every single scene, basically. <laughs> but yeah. but in the uh, in the new series, it's very reserved when they use the soundtrack. Um, I can only think of like maybe like three or four scenes where they use the original soundtrack, um, and like this is like one of the most powerful ones. This might even be like the first time we hear Laura Palmer's theme in season three. I don't remember. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but like yeah, I mean Laura Palmer's theme like swells up. He starts crying. He sees the pictures. He sees the case files, and then you know, all of the emotions kind of flood back. And it's this am amazing kind of... Yeah, we get this side of him that we just didn't see before because... Yeah. Just because we, you know, he never allowed us to. Yeah, and also, like, we get, like, all this, you know, pain and trauma, but also, like, happiness from, like, all those years ago. Yeah um and he kind of realizes in that scene well i don't know if he realized in that scene but it kind of implies in that scene that like yes bobby has like you know um evolved so much like since then like as a person but also you know he's still like the same person yeah like like like, like you know physically the same person like all that stuff like will never really like leave him yeah um i think and it's really relevant for like this idea of um nostalgia in the show i think yeah it's because oh my it's, god it's, it's a very bittersweet nostalgia because like i'm sure he has a lot of happy memories with laura but also there's like this intense trauma about her death and like guilt i'm sure that he's felt as well yeah it's it's one of those scenes that definitely helps sell the the idea that this is a show about you know the past isn't really as good as you remember it to be yes there are good things but yeah ultimately <laughs> all of your worst mistakes are in the past right and yeah it, it's definitely like it's much more complicated than just like the past was good or the past was bad it, it's it's like this really like complicated like relationship with that and i think that scene like kind of like bottles that up perfectly god i love that scene yeah um and generally in his character i'm just going more generally to briggs again bobby briggs um there's a lot of I think throwbacks to him through like to his like earlier self. Um, there's several, like there's like an important plot point where um, his like dad gives him like coordinates to like some location. That, Jack like, Rabbit's Palace. Yeah. Jack Rabbit's Palace that they knew that like he knew as a kid and like a lot of the mystery wouldn't have been solved had it not been for uh, <laughs> Bobby remembering like him spending time with his dad as a kid. Yeah. yeah. And you can see this, like, this kind of 
you know, warm fondness, that kind of nostalgia for Jack Rabbit's palace in his eyes when he's like, my dad used to take me there all the time when I was a kid. And yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's one of those light moments in the series, you know, mm -hmm. that I, I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. So just in general, I think they did a really good job with Bobby's character. And of course, you know, Dana, Dana Ashbrook like, did a great job with the performance too. Um, I think, I think it makes perfect sense for Bobby to have like this kind of, transformative arc that we that we actually don't see which is really interesting because it's it's all within this this time gap where he goes from like kind of like a lovable scumbag to like a legitimately good person yeah um and it kind of like shows like how much people can kind of like grow and change in like in like a mass amount of time 25 years yeah but Hell, also I, like a, like a oops, sorry. But also kind of like stay the same as well in certain aspects yeah like I like I said before, I think honestly, season three was the first time I've really enjoyed Bobby. Like, on, like I I honestly don't really like his character in seasons one and two, just because he is kind of a dick the entire time. But yeah. season three really helped turn that around. Yeah, and like I think, uh, we have to understand that Bobby is this, is like one character from like the beginning of season one to the end of season three. Like, and this is all kind of his. Yeah. People arc. change. Yeah. Um, and I think it's particularly, like I said before, I think it's particularly interesting that his arc happened like off screen mostly. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that they, they gave him that big of a change too, because I think most TV series would be fucking terrified of changing their characters that much. Yeah. But I mean, it makes, it makes sense though. Cause it's Absolutely. Been so long. Yeah. It, it's been so long. Like 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 we said before, the other thing about this series is that um, Lynch and Frost weren't afraid to change so much from the original because so much time has passed. So yeah. it, it makes sense that so much would change. I really applaud them for letting it grow the way that it did. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of, of Bobby, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about... Um, Shelly and the daughter that um, Shelly and Bobby have. Yeah. I think it's a very interesting part. Yeah. So, uh, Becky, uh, played by Amanda Seyfried. Are they supposed to be in high school? I don't think so. I think they're, like, they're like young adult. I, I had no idea how old they were supposed to be, but I think Amanda Seyfried's, like, in her 30s at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... So we have this uh, little interesting parallel with Becky and Shelly where, um, you know, we had Norma who was, you know, working the double uh, R and now we, and Shelly was working there. And I guess that doesn't scratch all of this. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but we have, we have Shelly's daughter, Becky, who is uh, his, her daughter with Bobby Briggs. Um, who kind of fills the same exact role that Shelley did when she was, uh, you know, in the first two seasons of the series, where, you know, we, we can see this clear division between adult life and high school life going on. And the high school life is, you know, full of drugs, and it's crazy, and it's everyone's, like, you know, cheating on one another, and <laughs> it's, it's all insane. And you kind of get that same exact vibe from the small glimpses into Becky's life, which is, yeah. I think is really interesting because, you know, Shelly's now the Norma 
and Becky is now Shelly. Yeah, but it's also, um, I think, a bit more complicated than that, too. Like, that, that's absolutely. certainly, like, parts of it, sure, yeah. Like, there's, like, this kind of, like, cyclical aspect of it. Um, like you said, uh, Becky has now become, like, what Shelly used to be. So, like, when Shelly was younger, um, let's talk about, like, the two relationships that she has in season two. So, the first is to Leo Johnson, who's, like, you know, definitely this, like, bad boy. He drives, like, a red Corvette. He literally murders people and sells drugs. He's a complete <laughs> fucking asshole. He's a complete asshole, yeah. Probably not really redeemable in any way. Um, but, um, you know, she's she's attracted to him. Um, and, and remember she says that she is attracted to him for, like, that bad boy aspect. Like, I think she, she does, like, explicitly mention, like, the Red Corvette when talking about him and <laughs> why they dated. And then, and then after, you know, that relationship goes sour because um, he, uh, he tries to kill her. <laughs> yeah uh and he's just generally abusive towards her she's attracted to bobby who's much less bad but not exactly um a stand-up goody two-shoes guy either, you know? still kind of an asshole yeah he's, he's kind of an asshole he still does sell drugs i mean he does kind of like neglect her and and kind of treat her like shit and like the end is near the end of season two um yeah but... you you get the sense that <laughs> Shelly has escaped one bad relationship for another. Yeah, um, and they, I, these are like the, just like the kind of like men that she's attracted to. It seems like, and in season three, we see that um, Becky, I mean, uh, um, Bobby and Shelly do have a daughter, Amanda Saffred, and which it, which it like assumingly means that they got married. Um, since like she shares. Oh, I mean, I think it's for sure that they're married because Shelly is you know, credited as Shelley Briggs. Right, yeah. So at one point they were married, but I think it's, it, it's I think they divorced. And my, so my, my take on that is once like Bobby kind of cleaned up and like became more of like a straight man um, and joined the police force, she become like more of like a generally good stand-up guy. Um, maybe that has kind of caused what like the attraction that Shelley once had to him to kind of like wither sense like he, she is does seem to still be into like that kind of like bad boy type yeah and we and, get a we get a sense that you know it, she yeah. is she's still after bad boys because at some point someone comes in that kind of looks like you know yeah 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 so when um bobby and shelly are at the diner talking to um their daughter um shelly like sees like some guy outside and she like waves she goes inside and there's this guy comes in riding on a motorcycle with like a biker jacket on right (laughs) (laughs) and they they just like might make out like outside the restaurant which is like this this kind of cool thing which which shows that in front of um, poor bobby no less i I think i think the thing to go around the corner a little bit but yeah (laughs) it's still kind of awkward um but it shows that um she certainly like changes the character too as you said like she is becoming more of a normal type she is definitely more a more of a consistent um person like like a stable like person you know much more than she was like uh, when she was younger um i mean she very clearly cares about her daughter and she does like all this stuff to try to help her um but like you know she works like a stable job with norma and in general you know much much more stable than she was before but she is still like attracted to like you know this this type of person i guess yeah um which you know makes sense for for a character and that kind of it makes sense that she would she would um, ditch Bobby for you know this type. <laughs> it really um, does, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately for Bobby, but also I think um, 
it makes sense for his character too in a little bit because we don't really like know if Bobby has a romantic interest at all. But um, it seems like it actually seems like he still like has feelings for Shelley in like certain some of the shots. Um, but also like it could be that like Shelley is not the type of girl that he would want um, to to be yeah. in a relationship with. We we definitely get hints throughout season two, but even though they they did all this to be with each other, they're not that great for each other. Yeah, yeah, and I think especially now that he's kind of cleaned up his act, I think that it makes sense for um, you know him to maybe like maybe uh, have a relationship with somebody else. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Becky too. So sure. Becky, Becky also is attracted to like this kind of like bad boy type. Um, her boyfriend in in the show. Oh no 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 no, they're married. I think right. I think I'm so. I'm pretty sure they're married. Yeah. So Living at the Fat Trap Farm with uh, Harry right. Dean Stanton. Right. Right. Okay. Harry Dean Stanton in the trailer park. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely like indications of. Is there any like? Do we see any physical abuse? Uh, I, I think there's, like, one scene inside the apartment where, like, there's clearly, like, some shit going down. Yeah, I, and I, I definitely know there's, like, it's definitely hinted in a few scenes, too. Um, but, you know, he, he also, I think, like, probably, like, runs drugs. Does, like, something illegal, right? I mean, but he also, he's also kind of, like, a womanizer, too. Like, he's very not faithful yeah, I honestly I love these scenes because they do so much and so and with showing so little and so little time. This whole yeah. this whole arc between Becky and uh, I I don't remember his what, name, but yeah. <laughs> but um, that whole thing probably is takes up maybe twenty five minutes of screen time during an eighteen hour series, and yet we yeah. we get this whole pretty fleshed out thing going on mm -hmm. um, it's probably not 25 is. minutes because of david lynch long scenes but <laughs> right <laughs> who gives a shit how long a scene is <laughs> um but yeah yeah i agree with you there um and i think the cyclical aspect of that is really interesting um yeah one and, of the... also, and also the ending when when inevitably um he kills himself and becky's obviously broken up about it um, even though, like, you know, they, they're clearly, like, not in a stable relationship. Yeah. Very much, like, you know, not doing a good time. But, I mean, uh, it makes sense for her to grieve, obviously. But yeah. In the end, um, she, like, finally listens to her mom for, like, the first time when um, Shelly says, maybe, Becky, you should come to the Hard uh, Hour Diner. I'll give you a, a nice big old slice of cherry pie or whatever. Yeah. Is, and, and it's nice because, like, that's, like, the first time in, like, the entire show i think that <laughs> she actually listens to her mother i feel like that was the first time we saw her smile in the whole series was at the end when she's like yeah that would be that would be pretty right. tasty and then that's that that's also like one of those aspects of like the very small joys that we see in the show i mean like it, it's after like a really like dark and depressing scene of, of suicide right yeah but at least we know that like you know hell i think I, I think it's before his suicide that we get shown that scene is it? Oh, I thought I thought it was after. Yeah, which is you know, you can dig into that however you want. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I I know some people thought that Becky was killed by him, but uh, Mark Frost said that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. But um... I, you know, Becky Becky did a great job. The, I think the scene that I like most between 
in this whole Becky, uh, Becky and her husband arc is when he comes running to the double R and is like, where's Becky? And then just bolts and leaves. I don't know why <laughs> that, that like stuck with me. It was like, it, it just really helped to sell that there's like something not right with what's happening there. Mm, yeah. I don't remember that part, but that's interesting. I, it's, it's right before, uh, that's the episode ends on the double R I think. Um, it's it's oh, yeah. It's the yeah, episode that lingers on just the double R and what the people inside are doing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, but it just that that maybe five seconds really helped sell that that part part of it for me. Yeah. Um. Should we talk about Audrey? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> God, Audrey shows up for, I think, it's either four or six episodes, but we get this, uh, we get this strange sequence where Audrey's talking to, um, her now husband, played by Clark Middleton, um, who, they're, they're arguing whether to go to the roadhouse to go and get, uh, Audrey's son. And you you can just tell that there's, like, this weird turmoil going on in this relationship. But it's, like, the most Lynchian thing possible in the way they do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, there's, like, like, weird insults, like, thrown at each other. Yeah. Like there's just, like... He, her husband takes, like so much abuse i'm not gonna lie like there's there's a lot of nasty shit said between them and he's just like okay audrey yeah yeah uh he like seems like so done with like her shit yeah um yeah i find it really interesting because you know audrey is one of the most important maybe famous characters of all twin peaks and here she's kind of like relegated to this like very small role which mostly takes place in like one room like, in, like, just, like, some random, like, room in, like, her house, I guess. Yeah, like, she, she gets a total of, like, probably an hour of screen time. If that. Probably yeah, if actually. that. Yeah. Um, but um, each each and every scene, there's just, like, you can tell that there's like just, like, something just brooding and off about what's going on here. And that obviously culminates in what we find out about Audrey, but... Um, yeah. What, what is that we what is it we found out about? Audrey? We find out that I think she's in I don't know. I I think she's in either the Black or White Lodge and I'm not really sure. The reason I think it might be the White Lodge is because of the white lights, but I don't know. Have we ever right. seen the White Lodge? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't I don't I feel think like, so. I, I feel like add... it's probably the Black Lodge just cuz she fucking screams. I feel like I don't remember if the Fireman's place is considered the White Lodge cuz like Laura Palmer is considered the opposite, like the pure good, compared to like Bob, which is like the pure evil. Yeah. Um, and like the fireman like creates Laura Palmer, so I don't I don't know if like that's the White Lodge or not. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, about about Audrey, I kind of thought that scene to be about how the twenty five years have passed, you know, since the original series and and since like. You know, she was, like, raped by, by the uh, evil Cooper. And, like, that trauma is, is still there. 
inside and inside her you know yeah um and there's like i guess maybe this element of guilt in in like her son which you know she didn't um give birth to i guess like willingly or she didn't like conceive of like willingly yeah um so she just seems like this really like broken person which is like a, a huge shame because uh, you know she's she's this bubbly cute girl who's like constantly like you know hitting on yeah. boys and just having a fun time with her life because yeah, she knows she can't really get in trouble yeah and it really sucks because like in season the end of season two like things were really looking up for her um like she really tried to take like a a big like part in um her dad's business i remember um like that's why she like changed herself to the to like the bank at the uh, season two finale (laughs) um she bangs billy zane she bangs she bangs billy (laughs) zane in an airplane (laughs) um really weird scene it's such a weird scene like billy zane i am a virgin (laughs) okay (laughs) that whole Um, thing feels so rushed and weird yeah but like like, (laughs) to digress a little bit i feel like the entire point of billy zane's character was to like take audrey's virginity which is like it's just so weird i don't know like i don't know like why would they even put that in yeah (laughs) It's, um, I, th- I think it's because they like they really didn't know what to do with audrey in season two unfortunately since... yeah because audrey was supposed to be um cooper's like love interest but um i told nick I, I told you about this but um they cut that arc short really quickly because um it was tom mclaughlin who plays dale cooper was da- dating um Lara Finn Boyle, who played Donna in the show, and like I think like she got jealous or something like that. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, um, and so that, like that, that's why that um, Cooper has the uh, the relationship with Annie in season two, and that's why I guess like Audrey like goes up and like does her own thing with Billy Zane, which was stupid. But anyway, yeah. Um, to get to get back to season three, Lara um, ruined this arc. Kill her. Yeah yeah um she didn't even come back fuck you donna (laughs) couldn't um, even get moira kelly the other donna no donna at all no donna at all it's kind of funny though because i i I almost feel like donna is a little bit insignificant to twin peaks yeah the same way that like james is you know they're just kind of like these like annoying teenagers yeah And and i like i like love them for like being annoying teenagers but i don't know but she really only serves a purpose in firewalk with me yeah, and Firewalk with me, like I think that's her most important part. And I guess honestly. she does help solve the the mystery, but like yeah, I, I feel like again, it's it's, like it's Donna, James, and them just like doing whatever the fuck. Yeah, I feel like she's more of like a driving force in the plot. Yeah, more than like a character. I mean, she is certainly a character, but I don't find her like particularly interesting, to be honest. Um, and uh, it's funny how we'll talk about James in a little bit. Uh, the way that James is dealt with in this season is very weird and interesting too. James has always been cool, dude. He's always been cool. Always. But um, but yeah, getting to Audrey. So it it is a real shame that you know she turned out to be like this this horribly like broken person because of like trauma. You know, like um, all these like terrible things have happened to her, and like her basically her like entire like life is ruined. And we, and we uh... really we get that sense in like how like verbally abusive she is towards her husband you know yeah like, i mean obviously like she probably knows that it's not her husband's fault for like everything that's gone wrong in her life but she needs like someone someone to like project it all on 
Yeah. I And like her husband like doesn't really understand the like her issues and like the sources of her trauma either, it seems like. So like it just kind of like this cycle of abuse between the two of them. Yeah, oh my god, she's uh, she's miserable for like 95% of the scenes she's in. The only thing Audrey gets to do is like argue with her husband and dance. <laughs> yeah, and like in that brief moment she's dancing, it seems like she's finally happy. Because it, it's it's a throwback to when she was, you know, like an, an aspiring young woman. She had like all this opportunity ahead of her. Yeah. You know, um, and she was kind of like carefree. Um, and, and really like it looked like as if like her life was really going somewhere. But um, it cuts back to the harsh reality when, when we see her in like that white room in the mirror. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Like, I mean, her life just kind of and definitely like not because of her own fault but just because of like trauma i guess and like the the card she was dealt with like what happened to her that's a character that deserves a hug yeah no it, it really it 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 makes you feel bad it's like it's like the opposite of um bobby's character you know yeah this guy who started out as kind of like an asshole looked like he was going down the wrong path in life but really like cleaned himself up and now he's like doing so well for himself audrey on the other hand like at the beginning of, of Twin Peaks, maybe she was kind of, like, more carefree, but she, she did, like, really try to straighten up at the end of season two, you know? Like, like as I said before, like, she went to work in her father's business. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Maybe a bit reluctantly, but... Yeah, maybe at first, but eventually, like, she was really getting into it, I remember. Yeah. Um, like, she really wanted to do, like, the save the, the trees. Save the pine weasel! Right, yeah, that whole thing. Um, and, yeah, it's... Uh, it's sad to see her kind of like turn out like this, but it makes sense for her character. And it makes sense that like she'd be changed so much in like these 25 years. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, man. What happens to her? Um, and we'll, we'll, let's get back. Let's get into speculation territory a little bit more. What do you, what do you think the, the white room that she just like appears in and screams and there's like a mirror. What do you think? What do you think that is? Uh, if I had to guess, it's probably, like I was saying before, it's probably something in the Black Lodge, considering Mr. C, uh, that whole ordeal. Um, oh, right, yeah. I it, Yeah, if I had to guess, she gets, like, thrown in there, like, I... Does Diane get thrown in the Black Lodge for a bit? I don't... Uh, I don't well, completely understand what happened there. Yeah, so, I think that, like, that weird, um, woman with, like, the covered eyes... Who turned out to be Diane? She was thrown. I think she was thrown in the Black Lodge, or she was thrown in like some like weird like dimension. I don't even know. Like the one that Cooper like has to yeah I get th- out of before going back to Earth. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that. I think it's yeah. it's something like that where she's just kind of you know trapped in yeah kind of her own dimension. own personal hell. It's realizing that you know things did not work out. I think that's what the the point of her being seen in a mirror is, is that yeah. she's looking at her own reflection, realizing, you know, what the fuck happened. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way of reading it. Um, and, and that actually makes sense, considering we see her mostly, like, in that one room, too. Like, she's kind of just, like, trapped in there. Yeah. With her husband as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, I read something that I really didn't like. Oh, God. Um, All right, let me hear about, it. Like, a possible interpretation about what happened is that, oh, she's in an insane asylum. <laughs> oh, that's so fucking boring. I know. I hate that so much. I really hope that's, like, not... That's so stupid. Happened. 
it's very stupid i mean it kind of makes sense because like you know she's dealing with all this trauma but also it's like it's so tired i don't know it's that like, it's such a tired thing to do i i think i think that room is just too bright and white like it didn't even look like there were walls there it just looked like she was yeah. in a void of white so i don't believe that yeah i mean um yeah I, I don't i don't like that interpretation but i think i think like a, a more like non-literal one is definitely the one that's like best suited for this yeah um that's one of the things i love about twin peaks that um i think i think people really do get too caught up in like what's going on canonically and like plot wise and they don't really like you know, realize that when David Lynch films a scene, he just like, I feel this way today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this because I feel like this. I want a monkey in this scene. You know, <laughs> um, he's just, he's just taking the piss, guys. Like he's not some kind of like criminal, like super genius mastermind who like hides like these like tiny little subtle clues if you like pause at like this one scene and like loop the fucking audio backwards or whatever you're gonna like figure out the mystery no no no. he's definitely not like that although there's certainly elements of that in twin peaks i'm sure yeah but it's not really about like piecing together the mystery through these subtle details it's about um honestly if you watch his weather reports on youtube i i think that that reflects him the best just because like he just has these weird random thoughts like i remember one of the days was just like I'm amazed that apples can grow from trees. It's just like, he just has random thoughts. Like, this isn't some, like, grandmaster conspiracy theory. This is just David Lynch being David Lynch. You know that, like, some Twin Peaks fan has, like, cut up that, that little scene and, like, analyzed it, like, 3,000 times looking for, like, the secrets. Uh... I'm going to be honest with you, Seth MT. I don't like that you're, you're mapping out all of the numbers that he's picked. I don't. I don't like this. I, there's nothing behind it. He's just picking numbers. You need to wait, calm wait. down. All right, Nick. Are you saying that if a seven is pulled, we're not going to get season four? <laughs> oh my goodness. There's no meaning behind it. Just drop it. Yeah, Although um, Seth, if the, if that's your long con, is is that you're just parodying other people? Good for you. <laughs> um. Yeah. I think that that's also one of the, the problems I have with um, doing like long form, mostly plot slash canon driven analysis of the show because the show it's interpretive. It's not supposed it's, to be literal. One, it's interpretive, and two, the creators don't know what the fuck is going on either. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you really think that everything is so deliberate? No, like I, like I said before, you know, it's just like thinks of things on set and i'm sure like there's a lot of like interesting ideas that him and frost like come up came up with on the script that um like like a scene can just be like a scene it doesn't have to have like like inherent meaning behind it like like the stupid the two minute sweeping scene um i where, like nothing happens except like some guys like sweeping a floor i love that yeah it's like it, it, there isn't like some like deep like necessarily like meaning behind it it's just like it, it's like a feeling thing it can be like an emotional thing it's a moment in time captured yeah as is yeah exactly sculpting in time perhaps oh yeah oh! Let, let me pull out my tarkovsky book really quick and I'll go <laughs> yeah but i i honestly i love moments like that in this show that like don't yeah. really do anything at all it's just kind of a brief almost nothing but you know that there's probably maybe something doesn't yeah, have like, to be 
but it could be. <laughs> yeah, or like, and like, there's so much like comedy derived from that too. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like, I think it might be episode one or two where, um, like, Major Briggs's body is found in the hotel or in the apartment. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So, like, the lady that like gets the police officers into the apartment is like i guess having trouble understanding like what the cops want to do and she like keeps like talking a lot and then she's like really annoying them <laughs> um, and like that that completely like goes nowhere because it turns out she just has like the key the whole time <laughs> so like there's like a solid five ten minutes like oh waste of happening. but it's it's hilarious i think you know like it fits perfectly yeah um, i think i think also like uh that's one of the parts of the show that like pissed off a lot of people um season three because like a lot of it is kind of I guess just like useless, yeah. In a, like plot way, it feels like you're just wasting your time. But it's it's not about getting to the mystery. It's not about like you know figuring out what's going on necessarily. It's about the experience. One of my one of one of my favorites, I think, is uh, during the last episode where um, I can't remember what she's called there, but it's Cheryl Lee and and Dale and Cheryl keeps fucking looking back at this car because she's in a bit of trouble and it just goes on for like i don't know like four or five minutes and she's just like looking back being real nervous and the car just eventually passes them like yeah yeah it just really it really helped to sell her own paranoia and the fact that you know Mm -hmm. it's another one of those things where it's like dude it's not that deep she's just paranoid (laughs) Or, or or like how um when uh when dale cooper like walks into her house and just sees like a dead body yeah and, like, like it's like it never explained like what's yeah. going on there <laughs> yeah that was good but like just taking an unnecessarily long amount of time w- to a point where it almost becomes necessary to take this amount of time because yeah. it's it's what we expect from it at this point yeah yeah kind of i don't know from season three at least yeah, a lot of this um, would not fly in the first two seasons. I don't. Oh think. no, because I mean, like as we've established before, this is really something completely different than than the other series. Like the only thing it shares are like the characters and uh, the name of the show. Yeah, like stylistically, visually, on on like every like formal level, even in terms of like writing and presentation and how like it was filmed, um, all at once as opposed to like episodic. And how it was written all at once, all at once as opposed to episodic. It's yeah. completely different. It's completely different. Um, but all that was intentional, I'd say. Fuck you, Bob Iger, for canceling Twin Peaks anyway. Honestly, though? It was the fact that Twin Peaks Perhaps for the best, because oh, we yeah. got the return. Yeah, the fact that Twin Peaks' candles gave us, like, in what I consider the greatest lunch work of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Um, um Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just I, I love gushing about this show because it's just so good. Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah. And should we move on to <laughs> what should we do? Do we dare talk about episode eight? Yeah, let's do it, bro. You, Nick, I'm gonna need a full recap. A full analysis. A full of, analysis of what happens. Of what the last? It's like forty five minutes. Is it forty five or like thirty? I I'm honestly not sure. But anyway, episode eight. Whatever, yeah. Um, Mr. C seemingly dies. And then he doesn't. He and then he... By homeless men. And then he isn't somehow. Uh, 
But then we go into the sequence where we see uh, the first bomb, uh, nuclear bomb being set off, um, which I personally interpreted as like the the start or the start of Bob or of all evil, I guess. Yeah, so I think you're right. Um, and we do see like Judy creating Bob, like kind of, I guess, through or inside of the nuke. Um, but also, you know, there is a reason, I guess, thematically, maybe not thematically, I guess, like on like a meta level, why, um, you know, this like creation of pure evil Bob is created yeah. in a nuke. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously like a very political statement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, like, yeah. And then there's and then... this, this fucking frog insect thing crawls into that girl's mouth there's there's the we have guy the, like, asking the, for a light oh my goodness there's there's have, so much here yes there's the like the stan brackage-esque like montage of like weird lights and stuff like flickering inside the nuke yeah oh yeah and then we enter uh i don't remember if we enter it but we at least see the the outside of the convenience store for the first time after yeah that. i think yeah, 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 you're right. And, like, we see, like, all the, the um, what are they called? The fog and then uh, the, the woodsmen, I think. The woodsmen, right, yeah, the woodsmen, yeah. All the woodsmen, like, spittering. I, I don't know how to describe what they're doing. Yeah, just, like, weird, like, Lynchian digital effects. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's definitely, like, this, like, weird, like, digital aesthetic that I think Lynch goes for in Inland Empire and in this, too. That yeah. I'm not sure I'm completely sold on, but... I've been thinking a lot in general about how like celluloid film has like a very specific aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I was curious to see like how digital film could develop its own kind of aesthetic. And I think like Lynch definitely attempts this in Inland Empire in this. Um, yeah. Cause like in that scene outside of the convenience store. Because there's, there's definitely like a different aesthetic done from Firewalk with me in the original two seasons. Cause they were mostly on film. Yeah. Um, compared to this because this just looks so like despite it being about like aging and dying like it it looks shiny and new because it's on digital yeah there's like this kind of like this weird disconnect i, I struggle to see if it's intentional or not yeah i just find it very interesting it's it's very compelling uh, and then we have the, the whole part where this, this this strange man completely in black in blackface <laughs> kind of i mean i, I don't think it's, it's i don't think it's done right now. It, it's it's just he's he's a man covered in dirt i feel yeah yeah basically um anyway <laughs> I, I hope that's not a political statement by lynch anyway anyway lynch, uh, um he he stops a um a 1940s car because it's 1945 for some fucking reason and um that's got a light got a light got a light got a light Gotta lie. Yeah. And so like I guess I guess these are like the people from the Black Lodge, right? I I, I gotta assume. Since like they, they help out um Evil Coop several times when he gets shot. Um and also like we see them around um I remember when when uh I, 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 died, like the teacher dies. Yeah. Like like he caught they 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 kill like the teacher. Yeah. yeah, I think there's one outside the convenience store in, like, one of the last few episodes. Yeah, but, like, they're but, kind of... Yeah, like that makes sense the, to be there. 
they're always like kind of like lurking in the shadows like they're i think they're like the henchmen of, of like judy and the black lodge i guess yeah i think that there's definitely like instances where you can just see them and they might not even do anything that scene but you see them yeah um and like i guess bob is like bob slash like evil coop is like the number two to judy seems like it uh, yeah but Judy's yeah. is just a restaurant. Why is it so evil? Oh, <laughs> bro, 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 bro. What is Judy? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure out the mystery. And David Lynch said it's a restaurant, you idiots. <laughs> um, and then we have the the part where like the woodsmen go into the like radio station and like say yeah, the weird like spoken word poem. Yeah, and then <laughs> while that's happening, that frog fly thing crawls into that girl's mouth yeah i still I, don't have a complete picture as to what that is i think that also has to do with evil no i don't know i don't know it's really hard because like i think i i think that the girl maybe is that's judy mm, i think the girl is the girl is sarah palmer it makes sense if you consider the timeline since she'd be like she's probably like what like no I, no i think i did the math and it doesn't though that makes sense because like she would be like in her late 70s during 2017 where the show takes place huh. and there she's like probably like 12 and it's like 1945 so it makes sense uh no it's it's, like, it's 1950 whatever because it skips ahead remember oh right okay well it still makes sense huh. so like she was born wait wait that would mean that she would that, 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 that could mean that she was born, like, on 1945 when the nuke was dropped. Right? Uh, uh, like, around that time, it's possible. Uh, and then... No, to uh, be 17 in the 90s? What? Laura. You're talking about Laura, it's right? Sarah. Oh, Sarah! Oh, Sarah! Oh, God. Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I get. You know what? No, like, yes. the timeline matches up perfectly for, for her to be Sarah. Yes. Or well, what if it's uh, Leland's mother? Um, no, she'd be too young. Hmm. Leland's like fifty in the nineties. Yeah, but like, why would this weird fucking frog fly thing crawl into her mouth? Well, uh, I have one of two um, thoughts about that. I think it's either like Laura's kind of like I don't know, sparkly seed thing or whatever. That that's made by um, the firemen. So it's and, become like, it's become that thing. Yeah, that or like some kind of an evil to counteract Laura, and in, inside of her already. I don't know because like because we see in season three that like Sarah has these like really weird like supernatural powers that we've never seen before. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like, there's that scene in the bar where she like takes off her face, like eyes without a face style, I guess. We, then, we never know what happens to her do we no we don't yeah and there's like there's like this like like terrifying like emptiness inside of her um which i mean can also be interpreted that um you know her entire family is like dead and she's just like living alone for the last 30 years like her husband like killed her daughter and like drugged her the entire time and then he dies so like there's all that trauma inside of her, which, you know, I guess could boil up into, like, this, like, intense, like, depression, like, nothingness that she's feeling. But also, 
if we think it to be like like a literal thing and like the canon or whatever like the plot um that could mean like she has like this these like weird like evil spirit tendencies or whatever inside of her like these weird like powers yeah because like she like rips this guy's neck open like instantly like, yeah obviously a supernatural thing <laughs> um so yeah i i don't know um yeah i guess that, you know i i was thinking about you know why sarah takes her face off so i guess that that would explain that yeah, i guess i think i think um if not anything specific i do think that that girl and the bug thing does have something to do with like laura palmer i think yeah um as we have the nuke i i, I have no doubt have, that we I... have yeah so we have like the nuke and bob um and so like the pure evil is created there yeah and then we have like the pure good and created in laura um a, a pure lynchian good mind you because remember yeah. lynchian good is not is never like true truly good. good i mean yeah does like cocaine and whatever and she like prostitutes herself but like and, and like underneath all of that she's like a very like bright not bright, maybe not yeah bright, and i, I think very, there's very like good person yeah and um, there's definitely like, something to say that she's been corrupted because of her father yeah, yeah because of bob like for sure um but despite that i think in fire walk with me as we see yeah. like she's able to like kind of overcome all of her trauma and she isn't able to save herself necessarily but she's able to like save everyone else yeah and like kind of like save her own soul in a way you yeah. know like she doesn't become corrupted by bob in, in terms of like the plot but also she doesn't succumb to like the trauma either like she kind of accepts it and she's able to like yeah move on um so yeah it's it's interesting i i, I i've always found like the character of laura palmer to be very very interesting because i think like she she's simultaneously like as a character really interesting but also as like a like an allegory not I mean, an allegory like, like a metaphor symbol whatever yeah for for like something yeah. else yeah i think i could definitely agree with that yeah and i guess we'll, we'll go more into fire walk with me um later on but i kind of viewed the end of fire walk with me even though ironically it's a prequel to the original series as the happy ending for twin peaks because we see there that laura her like soul is saved you know she doesn't succumb to the trauma yeah we and... see her in her angel costume in the waiting yeah. room smiling yeah and she's smiling and like i don't know maybe like she becomes a servant of the, of the white black lodge whatever who cares right <laughs> but but like what actually happens is she's able to overcome her trauma and like that's that's the happy part of the show that even like despite like you know she dies and it's like horrible that um, at the end she was able to like overcome it all yeah um and then season three comes and just trashes all over the happy ending <laughs> all right um <laughs> Would you like to talk about Gordon Cole, or should we talk about the ending, oh, no. considering we're talking about endings? I think I want to touch on Gordon Cole first, because I sure. find his character fascinating yeah. in this in this show. Um, for the most part, Gordon and, like, the FBI agents kind of serve in the same way that, like, James and Donna served in the original series, as, like, kind of, like, people that just drove, drove like, the plot forward. But yeah. I feel like there's a lot more to... The character of gordon and his relationship with him you know being like the creator of the show david lynch 
I think I think there's something really interesting to be said there. Um, I want to touch upon the fact that Gordon Cole has like the nuke as his as like this like really weird like poster or like mural or whatever at like the the back of his wall, um, which is like kind of weird. Like you don't you don't really see a lot of people that have a. Uh, giant pictures of like nuke explosions on their walls <laughs> especially not those that uh you know created bob yeah <laughs> <laughs> um like you would imagine that and of course you know uh, gordon cole is interested in like the blue rose cases and bob and all of this stuff but yeah. also like it's just it, it's kind of weird because there's like this like obviously like a very in, like an inherent mystery to like what's going on in episode eight with the nuke scene it's very unclear like what's really going on um and so maybe there's like some hints that Gordon kind of knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. Uh, um, it, I think it's funny because like one of the last few scenes we see of him talking is uh, them dealing with the fact that he didn't, he couldn't shoot Diane. And now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I could interpret that as him saying he can't kill Twin Peaks, even though he feels like it's dead. Yeah, yeah, certainly there is this lingering aspect that the show has in a lot of like these really like long extended scenes of like nothing, you know? Yeah. And just generally this idea that even if like a story is over, like the world continues, like the people in that story like are still alive until like, they eventually die, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's kind of a depressing thought because like, it kind of implies there aren't really any conclusions to life and to like the lives of the people that are involved in these stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting. I like that. Um, I, well, what's funny is that also during that scene, he reveals that he's kept something from Albert for 25 years. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's literally David Lynch telling us something that we didn't know 25 years later to our face. Yep. Um, and also, uh, how he uses his, uh, like, like, like that he's deaf toward, toward, to like, to his advantage. Yeah. I know, like, there's that one scene where I forget what, what Albert says to him. And then David says, what? Or Gordon says, what? And then Albert says, you know what I said? (laughs) And like, it's revealed that like, yeah, okay. Gordon actually did hear what he said. Yeah. So he's kind of using this disability that he has as an advantage for people to like not to To underestimate him yeah to underestimate him yep yeah um so i definitely think that i i I don't think that we ever really will know what gordon is doing what's going on there but i definitely think that there's more around him and his character and then let's talk about Gordon being played by Lynch. What do you yeah. think about that? Well, I mean, you know, like we've kind of been discussing, it's it's a, it's, you know, this is the artist directly in his work, almost commenting on, you know, the aspects of his work that he's like, you know, it's, it's just very like indicative of what's going on in the series is a lot of times reflected on Gordon Cole. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> I'm I struggle to to know fully what what Gordon Cole and David Lynch uh 
I guess, bring bring to the table just because we are kind of kept in the dark on that, even to the end, like you said. But yeah. there's there's definitely something to be said about, you know, the artist reflecting on his work in his work. Yeah, and I also want to add, if we talk about it, like, I guess on a meta level, yeah. um, there's always this idea that, like, the artist holds the keys to, like, the true meaning behind the artwork, which is this false notion, of course. I yeah. mean, like, many artists have said that, like, they have no idea what the hell is going on. David Lynch is very famous for saying that, like, he doesn't want to explain the meanings behind his films and also has said that, like, a lot of elements from his films, if not entire films, don't have, like, a single like inherent meaning yeah so it, literally anybody who's ever asked him has just said no yeah um this is, this is completely unrelated but i remember um uh when altman was interviewed about the meeting behind like i think it was either mccabe mrs miller or nashville or uh mash i mean um he said i could sit you here and tell you what the meeting is except there's only one problem i, I have no idea myself it's much easier if I just gave you the money to buy the ticket and go see the movie yourself. I made the movie for that reason, <laughs> um, which is true. Like, like um, our pieces of art stand by themselves, and our their message is like the art itself. Yeah, you know? art's interpretable. It's it's the most you know flat yeah. explanation for for anything going on is that you don't need to explain it. You. <laughs> You as an intelligent human being try and figure out what this means because mm -hmm. it's not our job to explain it to you. Yeah, it's their just it's just their job to make it and yeah, you know, oftentimes they don't even know. The artist don't even doesn't even know what it's about. Dedicated to Andre Tarkovsky. Yes. Based God Andre Tarkovsky. <laughs> and so there's and so because of that is this interesting relationship between Gordon Cole and, and David Lynch because on the one hand you think that Gordon Cole is letting on more than he knows. It's, sorry is uh is not letting on as much as he knows but on the other hand you know that david lynch might kind of just be pulling out of this out of his ass and like he might not even like really know what's going on either yeah obviously there is a lot of very intentional elements in the show it's not just like a bunch of like nonsense i mean like we've been talking about like the themes of like nostalgia for like an hour and a half like already right? yeah <laughs> but but at the same time like it might not be as deliberate in every single aspect than maybe everyone else is trying to like put on yeah so like it kind of like makes me question this idea of like the auteur also yeah um because i know that that mark frost kind of gets like sidelined in the conversation a lot around twin peaks and people like fans like falsely like accuse him of being like the element that like reels david lynch in and like that's kind of all he does and like he only does like the soap opera stuff but in reality, like, I'm sure the relationship is much more complex than that. And, like, no one really knows, like, which of these two authors, you know, added more to Twin Peaks than the other. I mean, all we know is that they both wrote the entirety of the season together. It's credited yeah. as written by David Lynch and Mark Frost. And I think, like, maybe, I think no one else. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, the guy who made Firewalk with me, uh, or Firewalk With Me was written by David Lynch and someone else. Oh, right, right. And right. I, I think, you know, there's probably, he plays a part in it too, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. I, t I talk about sidelining Mark Frost and I don't even remember his <laughs> <the right> name. <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't find it, damn it. Yeah, no, I, I know who you're talking about. Let me let me look it up. What's his damn name? Because I, I don't want to uh, leave him out. 
was... Robert Engels. Yes, yeah, Robert Engels. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he did season three. Let me see. Is he still alive? That may be the first problem. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so Robert Engels said that he agreed to help write a graphic novel continuation of Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. I read a little bit about that. I don't think that he had any creative input in The Return. um, return. Hmm. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Nevertheless, he is is a part of Twin Peaks. He's a uh, very important part of, you know, the story of the writing of Twin Peaks, and he should Should. be acknowledged for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yes, but also for Mark Frost, um, his input should really be acknowledged. He wrote Twin Peaks' Access Guide to the Town. Oh, there you go. What was, it, what was my point I was trying to say about before? about uh, um, like... Mark Frost getting sidelined for David Lynch being... Uh, you were saying that Mark Frost uh, is the guy often credited as the one who reels David Lynch in. Right, where he, he like does he does a lot too there. Yeah, um, but I can't really help you beyond that because that's all you said to me. <laughs> all right, well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, right, and um, author intentionality, right? So, so having Gordon Cole as this character who is kind of like this idea of like the pure artist as like the pure auteur is kind of like maybe like a parody of that, you know? Yeah. Because there is a lot more to Twin Peaks than just David Lynch's like mastermind, you know? Yeah, especially considering Mark Frost does show up this season. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, I find that funny now that I'm thinking about it because the one thing he does is find this very grim, dark scene that he's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> so, like, there may be something to be said about that, you know? That yeah. he, he finds this very dark scene and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, and I definitely think there's more to... Uh... Oh, for, for context, he, he plays a dog walker who finds uh, Becky's husband right before he kills himself. Oh, oh, weird. Okay. Huh. I yeah. forgot about that. Um, I do think there's more to Gordon's character um, on, like, meta-commentary level, but um, a lot of it, I think, went over my head. Oh, <laughs> definitely. God, what doesn't go over anyone's head about this series? Yeah. I think, Nick, it might be time to talk about the last two episodes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, right. We'll start with... 17. So in episode 17, we have this amazing conclusion to the series where um, the series ends here. Definitely not in episode 18, for sure. Some, ran- some random British guy with like a gardening glove beats Bob to death. Um, and Evil Cooper is defeated. Yay! We did and, it, everyone. And, Bob is dead. And everyone is in Sheriff Truman's room. All the All the characters, all the Twin Peaks people james is randomly there for some reason even though he's done literally nothing in the entire series (laughs) well i find it funny because like i guess his whole point was to have this friend who will kill bob yeah which is really ironic because like um he was like the plot driver yeah um seasons one and two for like a lot of the mystery there and then now he just kind of like a plot a plot device (laughs) i definitely think there's like some there's definitely something in there i could read into yeah but i don't think we have we have time for that Oh no! Um, <laughs> God, we're already like 
an hour and 30 minutes into this. No, we're two hours into this already. Holy shit. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, so with, uh, with that, everyone, everyone is in the room. Uh, they're all cheering that evil Cooper is dead, that the evil has been defeated. Lucy is the one who shoots him. Which is great. I love that. It's the female empowerment moment of the season. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we have to have an entire conversation about David Lynch and women, but that's not what we're going to have today. You didn't know. And, yeah, like, everything seems, like, really happy at first. I mean, Gordon Cole's there, too. All of Cooper, Cooper is surrounded by all his friends, but... It really does seem like everything is resolved in this moment. Yeah. But However, then you, realize, then you realize, wait a minute, there's 30 minutes left in the episode, and also there's an entire other episode after this. So what the hell is going on? And then this really weird crossfade happens with like um, a close, like an extreme close-up of Cooper's face that just stays on for like it feels like forever, like ten minutes, baby. I I think it it stays on until he enters that door. I think. Yeah, it stays on like forever, um, and it's it's so weird, and like you're like, what the hell is going on? It's your own reflection. It's you being baffled that this is how this is going. <laughs> I I don't have like a like a concrete interpretation of like what's going on there, but I that's maybe that's my I think the best interpretation I have at the moment of what yeah. that is. Um, and then, and then Dale Cooper in the crossfade says, we live inside of a dream. Um, and then you know that something fucky is going on. Um, but the reality is, this is the cliched ending that I guess the Twin Peaks super fans are looking for, right? Yeah. This is, this is like the ultimate thing where like the bad guys are defeated, the mystery is solved and everything's good. And like, we can just like go home and like forget about all the problems, right? Yeah, and it's 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 interesting to see that they they have this kind of place where you could potentially cut off the series for yourself and then be like, "Yep, everything's fine." Yep. But but, but of course, what fun is that? But of course, um, all of the issues that season three brings up wouldn't would not been addressed. So like, it, it would be like a really bad inconclusive ending, even though it feels. Like it's supposed to be super conclusive, yeah. and so the reality starts to sink in that yeah, there is there is more to what's going on, um, not only like in the plot obviously, but also on on like a meta level. Yeah. Um, it's and then it's get... why. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you can. No, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, you know, it's it's why we get to the place that we're at. It's all of this has led to. Yay, Cooper is back in Twin Peaks. Why? The yep. case is solved. What is the he going to do? Solved. Laura Palmer is dead. Her case is solved. Why is why is Cooper back here? Because yes. Cooper cannot let go of this case. Yeah. It's it's it's, you know, it is like we said it's nostalgic commentary on, you know, you wanted Twin Peaks to come back, but but really, why? Like, we did we did solve this. Cooper was allowed was almost allowed to leave Twin Peaks before you know his whole mess happened in season two and season and, two and went off the, the rails. The producers forced um, him to stand there, yeah. <laughs> and all that happens, and you're just like, 
wait a sec, what the hell is Cooper doing? Yep. Yeah. And then we get to episode 18, where we enter, like, this strange, bizarre world with Diane and... Well, I think it's it's worth mentioning what happens yeah. when yeah, he enters yeah, the door. Ahead, yeah. um, so we get this kind of happy ending about 30 minutes of the way through episode 17, and then Cooper asks for his room key, which unlocks a door in like this weird basement area, even though it was a key to uh, um, the, the lodge, Audrey's dad's lodge. can't remember the name of it. Uh, the Great White Northern, right? Anyway. Yeah, the great, the great northern. Yeah, the great northern. Um, so it opens this door, which leads him kind of back to it. It, it leads him to the same place that it led uh, Mister C when he entered the gas station, which is is interesting. But it it eventually leads him out to moments before Laura Palmer runs away from James and Fire Walk with me. To which uh, we we then see this alternate kind of take on reality where Cooper takes Laura's hand and tries to save her, and which eventually uh, it leads us into episode eighteen where yeah our, our um yeah you're yeah you're right to bring that up I completely forgot yeah <laughs> uh, super important because also um, we see that when Cooper saves her. Um, her body that washed up on the shore of um, Pete's house like disappears um, and it seems like history is being kind of rewritten yeah so we learn later in like uh, I read a little bit about the the final dossier that um, Laura in this universe because like Dale is going back and like messing with time um, was never actually murdered she was just she just went missing um, and that makes sense considering she's transported into like this weird alternate dimension that we'll talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, so like, Cooper is like, he's Cooper is so nostalgic that he goes all the way back in time to save this woman who didn't, yeah, like didn't need to be saved because at the end of Fire Walk with Me, if anything, shouldn't have been saved. Yeah, because at the end of Fire Walk with Me, like, she's kind of this, like, she is a savior in her, in her own right, because, like, she prevents Bob into, like, entering her body, right? Which then allows for, like, this possibility of Bob's capture um, through Leland's body. Yeah. Um, and, but also, just in general, like, she gets over all of this trauma, and she's able to, like, you know, get over all, all of the bad stuff that happened to her. So, like, saving her there, and kind of denying her the ability to face and deal with her own trauma in a lot of ways is like much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because, Oh my goodness. Oh, this last episode. Yeah. Oh, it's just uh, so heartbreaking. It's no, it, it just really, it, it, it broke my heart to see that. Like I understood why it happened, but Oh man, it's, it just, I just I don't even I don't even know if I have the words yet even now it's just it breaks my heart to see what happened it's so hard I mean especially because I mean we, we've been watching the show for a while I guess so... we should explicitly say what happens so yeah um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there but I'll explain I'll explain yeah. why it's hard first so like 
you know, we've been watching the show for a while. We've seen the movie, you know, we kind of like watch all this stuff. And we're like so attached to these characters and especially the character of Dale Cooper, you know? And I mean, yeah. like we're obviously really attached to the character of Laura Palmer too, because we see her go through all this stuff in Fire Walk With Me, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's like devastating to see Cooper kind of go down this like wrong path and to be so obsessed with this case and with saving Laura and like for this, um, you know, being like so nostalgic and not realizing that, you know, he's just like doing a disservice to her and really just like harming her, like beyond any kind of reparation. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's devastating. So basically what happens. Espe- yeah. Then, Cause well, especially because it's like, you know, it's the main character, you know, it's, yeah. it's the main it's character different. of a TV series. He's supposed to be the best good guy. He's, he's, you know, He's not yeah. supposed to screw anything up. He's supposed yeah. to be the ultimate good that's always the guiding light of the series. But uh, I think that uh, Kyle McLaughlin actually said that one of the reasons he finds the ending so devastating is that um, he said that this is the only time that Cooper's really been at a loss. Um, like, like I think the final like line of the series is like, "What year is this?" The final line of the final line is a scream. <laughs> Well, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, uh, like, like, spoken, like, word of dialogue. Yeah, no, I, I got you. I was just yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is what year is this? Which is like implying that Cooper is just like absolutely dumbfounded, and like the case, like, that no longer like makes sense to him anymore because he completely messed everything up, and he was able, unable to see um, what Laura Palmer was and like what her role was. Um, and she and he was just unable to let go of her. Yeah, he couldn't accept that. You know, this case was perhaps the one failure of his career. Maybe was was yeah. maybe one of the things I picked up on. But oh, buddy. And and I think um, let's touch upon a bit of like what happens in this weird, bizarre world because I think I don't think we've talked yeah. about that yet. So basically, um, we start off. We start off with. Coop and Diane driving in a car mm-hmm. and uh, there's just some general like offness to what's going on. Like I, I can't really tell you what it is, but like the pauses are extremely long and awkward between like anything they say to each other. There's this, this very awkward tension you can very clearly feel in the air and it's just this general something's not right even from the beginning of the episode and you'd know it. Yeah. Um, and then they have like, uh, Diane and Cooper have like this kind of like awkward sex scene, um, where like part of it seems like to be like happy. And then part of it seems to be like really like weird. Yeah. And like uncomfortable. And it, it, and the next day, like Cooper wakes up, Diane has gone, um, and in a letter addressed to him, he, she addresses him as Richard yeah. and her name is Linda for some reason. And so at first, like, this is kind of weird. Cause we think this is just like the normal Cooper, but in the way that he acts like in the, the diner, which isn't named Judy's diner, which is, <laughs> you know, whatever David Lynch, whatever dude, so, <laughs> um, he's, he's not like the normal cheery, like Cooper self, like. He's not excited when he drinks coffee. He barely notices it. He's not smiling. He's just kind of sitting there. He's kind of more reminiscent of Mr. C, but at the same time, he's not like this evil character either. He's like this weird mixture of both 
Mr. C and like the Dale Cooper that we know and love. Yeah. And, you know, that obviously leads us to uh, Laura Palmer in this universe, who is not Laura Palmer. No, um, she's once again um, a woman in trouble, though. Yeah. Uh, it's one of David Lynch's favorite things to write and film about. Um, <clears throat> we yeah. don't really know what's going on with her. We don't really know her, her backstory. I think her name is Carrie Page. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Carrie okay. Page. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and um, she's in trouble. We don't really know why. There's a dead body in her house. We don't know why. It doesn't matter, you know. She's She is essentially grown-up version of Laura Palmer. Yeah. Except not at the same time. And uh, so we, we, we have this questioning by Cooper of Carrie slash Laura where he's like, is your father's name Leland? And she says no. But when he asks if uh, her father's name or her mother's name is Sarah, that brings a yes, and that makes things very complicated for what she happens say, next. Does she say yes? Yes, she thought, does. Thought, okay, that's that's the thing that um, I think convinces her to go with him. Gotcha. Okay. Because I believe yeah. so. I don't know. We could go I back remember, and check. I, I remember that. Like, I, I thought she doesn't answer if her father's name is Leland and her mother's name is Sarah. And it's like not really left. It's kind of left for like interpretation, whether I you think it is or not. I, I don't know. I don't thought remember. we got a definite no from on Leland, but I, I thought mm. she said yes on Sarah. Gotcha. Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but she chooses to go with Cooper because Cooper wants to take her to Twin Peaks, I guess, to try to make her regain her memories but this is kind of like a selfish thing from him because like, why does it, why would it matter for her to like remember like all this trauma and like all this like evil that has been done to her? Like he's already kind of like quote unquote saved her. Right. Yeah. So why is he like bringing her back to like all this like evil? I think it's because he wants to save Laura Palmer and not, like, Carrie Page, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I get from this. It's... Oh, uh, uh, Cooper, why did you do this? <laughs> that's that's um, all I can say about this episode. It's just, like, it's, it's Cooper with the best of intentions possible just fucking up really, really badly. Yeah. It is, it is the best of intentions, but also there is definitely that element of narcissism. Yeah. And that element of nostalgia as well. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because it is within his character to do something like this. It does make sense. But also it's kind of so unlike him to completely misread the situation. I guess which is why it's so like jarring at the end. Yeah. Um, and then... In the final scene, we get to... Um, Cooper brings Laura to um, her family's house. And um, someone answers the door. Funny, uh, fun fact, by the way, the people that play the people living in the house are actually the real owners of the house in real life. Oh, that's what I th I thought, and I was going to yeah. ask, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because David Lynch uh, and I think like Showtime uh, didn't own that house; like it's just owned by like some like random couple. Um, and so, but they were like nice enough to like lend the house for the shooting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, uh, but anyway, um, 
Cooper gets no information out of that. Um, well, in fact, what here. what we learn, I think, is what what's important is that no one by the name of uh, Palmer has ever lived there. Yeah, or at least like, in in the last like few years. Right, and like there is this like moment of Cooper, Cooper, and is just completely bewildered. Yeah, and like the show ends with the like uh, you hear like Leland's voice saying like Laura, Laura, or something like that, right? Yeah, and then like there's like this flash of like electricity, haha, <laughs> and then uh, we get um laura kind of like screaming which kind of implies that like all the trauma might have like just like flooded back to her in like at that one moment yeah and of course cooper says what year is this what year is this yeah so it's if twin peaks Firewalk walk with me was the happy ending of twin peaks then twin peaks the return is the sad or like bad ending yeah because it isn't about wrapping up the original mystery it's not even really about the original show it's kind of a meditation on what it means to revisit something after all these years kind of divorced from its context um like did you really expect it all to be like happy um and did you really expect like all of these like problematic elements to like not like show up again yeah yeah uh, I, I love how it, you know, obviously it's David Lynch. It's never explained. It's never explicitly told to you that like, there's something wrong, but like, I just love the, the feeling that it creates of like, from yeah. the beginning, this episode, just that there is something is entirely wrong with what's happening right now. I think it's entirely because of Kyle McLaughlin's performance. Because I said before, like he's playing this weird in between character as Richard between eh, I think, evil group. I don't know. I think some of it definitely belongs to Diane or Laura Dern. Oh, oh, for sure. But I mean, um, specifically like in the Bizarro world, I think True. Like, we we don't really see her that much in the Bizarro world. She like leaves pretty early on, right? True. But yeah, like certainly like in the part where like they're driving and they're having sex, yeah, for sure. Um, but I think like for the majority of it, I'd I credit to, to Kyle McLaughlin because, like he's he all of his movements are so weird and they're so like slow you know and like yeah. very like 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 subtle um and just like overall very like it feels like very like detached yeah uh, when normally like dale cooper is so like energetic it's yeah it's very un cooper yeah um and, and like but it's also not enough like on cooper to i guess like set your alarm off so it's like it's like creates like this weird like uncanny effect yeah i i think the the thing that like definitely sets everything off if it wasn't you know richard and linda if it wasn't kyle's performance if it wasn't anything it's seeing laura palmer call herself carrie page i think right oh yeah for sure i think that's that's the final bell that rings that's like oh my god there's cooper fucked with time <laughs> Cooper, you fucked with something. You, you shouldn't have done that, Cooper. You're messing with uh, forces greater than your own. Um, and I guess, like, I guess this is like another commentary on, but just saying, like, maybe you shouldn't mess with like nature and like the way things are, um, hmm. and the way that like Cooper really went outside of what his realm was 
yeah. which is like you know being a detective and really like messed with forces that were so much larger and more important than his own and his own like passions and desires and stuff like that that he just kind of like ruined it for like so many other people because of his like narcissism yeah yeah oh it's and oh my god just the that final shot of laura screaming is just so devastating yeah it's it's just so heartbreaking to to see that that after all of these 25 years that we have in fact done wrong again at this point yeah and it kind of like connects to this like idea of like cycle yeah yeah it's Um, heartbreaking it's just yeah there's no other way to put it you just your heart goes out for both of those characters in that moment that uh despite everything they've now done wrong Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Lynch has said that he is uh, he, he, he is uh, considering a fourth season. He's not opposed to a fourth season. However, um, he views this as the ending to, Tw- to Twin Peaks. So anything that happens after this, um, he doesn't cons- he doesn't want to do anything after what what happened here. And I think that's it's perfect because like I really do think like this is the perfect ending to Twin Peaks for a show with so much legacy and nostalgia surrounding around it. The only way to really do the show justice in the third season was to address the nostalgia, the legacy and all of that. And to bring it into like a 21st century, like context. I'm absolutely glad he did this. Um, I, I I think I put uh, as part of my review, I was like, this is, nothing i expected it to be but everything it should have been yeah um i really don't know what else like i don't know like anything you could have done to to improve it i mean there's certainly like messy elements in the show and like weird scenes and maybe like some stuff that could be cut out or put in but like overall it really is david lynch's best work one of the greatest cinematic experiences i've i've i have ever watched yeah and um i'd love yeah, to watch the last two episodes like in a movie theater if they if they ever decided to do that i'd love to watch all 18 hours in a movie theater nick all at once no intermissions i think we we have to go back in time and go to moma to do that <laughs> although i guess they didn't do that but anyway oh my god if you uh if you've if you've listened to this and you've just had all of twin peaks spoiled uh I'm sorry, uh, but watch it anyway. Please go yeah. back and watch it. It's not yeah, like it's, so it's not like you'll really have any any idea what's going on anyway. Yeah, um, there's this there's this meme I saw where um, uh, there's, there's there's like this meme in the Twin Peaks community where um, oh, will I understand season three if I haven't seen the first two seasons? Yeah, exactly. That one. Yeah, <laughs> and and also um, it's like, bro, people that have seen the first two seasons watch the film the deleted scenes listen to the cassette tapes right out of the book still don't understand season three yeah <laughs> that's what's so good about it yeah i it's um it, it's it is so interpretable but also i feel like uh it, it's so rich because of it yeah yeah well um hey man if you're ready to wrap up i am sure any any final thoughts lingering interpretations 
You know what? We haven't come My thoughts, yet. Twin Peaks, good. I agree. It's, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we've come to this conclusion. It's like a four out of ten. Yeah, yeah, or like maybe maybe four point five even. Four point one out of ten. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. Um, All right. Well, this has been a very long. This episode. has been a two-hour and fifteen-minute episode. I think. I think we are. It is time to sign time. off. I'm sorry for for making an episode this long, but I'm sure the Twin <laughs> Peaks fans, all two of them who listen to this, uh, I think they'll. I hope they'll appreciate this. But I, I'm Luna, glad I got this out of my system because. Luna, you better have watched this entire episode, or I'm not talking to you ever again. <laughs> uh, well. Um. Also. We will likely do an episode on the film Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. So expect that soon. I'm not sure which one we're going to upload first. Probably just this one because we finished it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll, there is a lot to say about Firewalk with me individually, um, uh, but also in reference to, to the return. I mean, we, we, we brought it up a few times. Yeah. Because um, you kind of need like the whole context to, I guess, kind of wrap your head around it. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Um, it's been a pleasure. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to completely explain the entirety of Twin Peaks because we're just mega geniuses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyway, thank you all for listening to this. Uh, catch you next time. See ya.